Well, good morning, Christ Church. Whether you're joining us at Butterfield or online or here in this room, it is so great to be with you this morning. Uh, I've been in my role just over one month. It was one month uh, just a few days ago. Uh, I want to thank you for the warm welcome uh, to Christ Church that you've extended to me and to Kelly. Uh, we've just been embraced and love uh, getting to know you uh, as we've had the chance to do over the last month, uh, several of you, your staff, the staff is just an amazing group, the senior leaders here, uh, just love serving alongside them. Excited to be with you here in this service as well. Well, I grew up loving the local church. Uh, my dad's a pastor, I'm a PK, a pastor's kid, and at 78, my dad still pastors a small church in East Tennessee. And my brother and I have both been pastors for over 30 years. And Kelly and I had the privilege of being on staff at Mountain Christian Church near Baltimore for 16 years. And Mountain uh, was started in 1824. They're coming up on their 200th anniversary. It was started just a few years before we got there. Uh, <laughs> yet even with the church's rich heritage, you can imagine being in a church that was, had that kind of history. Mountain's leaders believed that the church's best years were still ahead of them. And over the past 21 years, Mountain has grown from 1,000 people to right at 6,000 people just before COVID. So what do you think about the future of the local church in our world today? Or what do you think about the future of the local church here in the United States? What do you imagine might be the future for Christ Church? Our best years ahead of us. Well, roughly 20 years ago, I read a book entitled An Unstoppable Force by Erwin McManus. And then I heard him speak, and it really inspired me as a younger pastor about the potential in every church to be unstoppable. And I am so grateful for my dad for his love and devotion to the local church through the years. And I'm, I'm grateful to Erwin McManus for this vision of an unstoppable church. And that's what every church God has a dream for us to be unstoppable. So this morning, I'd like for us to take a look at several points in the book of Acts that I believe are going to inspire us about the potential for the local church today. One writer describes Acts this way, as a supernatural action adventure where we experience God's power, public beatings, Christian community, imprisonment, powerful sermons, martyrs, a shipwreck, it's all there in the book of Acts. So let's start in Acts chapter 1. Acts 1 verse 3, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So as Acts begins, we see Jesus sharing his final words with his disciples. For three years, he's been teaching them, leading them, teaching them about the good news of the kingdom of God. And then comes graduation. Now, graduation's not just the end of something, is it? No, it's also the start of something new. Uh, we even call it commencement because we're going to commence doing something. So here Jesus meets with his closest followers one last time, and he wants them to commence doing something. And just as he did 
when he first gathered them at the start of his ministry, Jesus tells them about the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. One crucified carpenter, 11 ordinary guys. And Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses to the entire world. And then he leaves. Do you see how absurd that is? One carpenter who dies, comes back to life, meets with these 11 folks and says, okay, you be the witnesses to the world, I'm gone. Jesus' commencement address, though, gives us an outline for the entire book of Acts, and it traces this explosive kingdom growth that Jesus foretells right in that passage. From Jerusalem in chapters 2 to 7 to Judea and Samaria in chapters 8 to 11 of Acts, and then to the ends of the earth in chapter 11 to the end, all in roughly 30 years. What Jesus painted a picture of came to pass, and it all started with this small group. Later in chapter 1, we hear that early in the book of Acts, there were 120 followers of Christ. I read this week that by A.D. 310, just before Constantine's rule, there were over 5 million Christians. So how did this happen? How did they grow from being a small movement to the most significant force in the world in just three centuries? Well, Jesus gave us the answer. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And true to Jesus' promise, the Holy Spirit arrived a few weeks later on Pentecost. And the church grew rapidly because the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changed everyone and everything. Just a few weeks earlier, Peter cowered in fear just because he was accused of being a follower of Christ. And now through this same Spirit's power, Peter preaches and points fingers in the face of Jewish officials who had beaten and imprisoned him. Or Paul, a central figure in the book of Acts and the writer of most of our New Testament, clearly follows the Spirit's power and the Spirit's guidance as the Spirit sends him out and calls him back, propels him forward and creates barriers to what's ahead for him. The Spirit is given, friends, so that ordinary people like you and me can share in the life and work of Jesus. The disciples were filled with power And they begin to carry out Jesus' mission. They proclaim good news, baptize new believers in their families. They gathered people into community. They cared for those in need. Power at work in their lives. And hundreds, then thousands, then millions became believers. Generations of Christians empowered by the same Holy Spirit began to invade every arena of life, every country bringing love and grace and truth to bear on their surroundings. So we're gonna take a look at some progress reports in the book of Acts and consider the implications for our lives today. After the Holy Spirit has given power to the church, we read this first progress report in Acts chapter two, where it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So this church begins to grow. From its infancy as a group of 11 or 120, they begin to grow. And the Lord adds to their numbers daily those who are being said. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of a church where new believers joined you every day? I remember there was a time in our church in Maryland when we recognized that over the course of the previous year, we had over 365 new believers join us that previous year. And it hit us. Oh my goodness. We just got a taste of what this first church experienced where people were added to their number every day. The next progress report we find is in Acts chapter six where it says, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So just as Jesus predicted, Jesus' disciples were witnesses of him in Jerusalem, just as Jesus said they would be. And, and then there's growth that happens right away. They increased rapidly, Scripture says. But who is it that's coming to faith now that Luke points out in this passage? Who comes to faith? It's the priests. So why do you think that Luke points out that the priests came to faith? That, I mean, that makes sense to us that priests would have faith, right? Well, the these were the last people anyone thought would respond to the good news of Jesus because they were religious leaders in an entirely different religious system. Religious leaders from Judaism were placing faith in Christ. So who is it that we believe is too far away from God to be reached? No one. Not Republicans, not Democrats, not vaxxers or anti-vaxxers, not even Packer fans or, or whoever you consider to be the other in your life. No one is too far away from God. The next progress report we find is in Acts chapter 8, where it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in verse four, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now notice two things. Jesus said that they would go to Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. So the church begins and do they follow that guidance? No, they stay in Jerusalem. It's a nice, comfortable community until persecution comes. Persecution. All too often we use that phrase to describe what we're dealing with in our time. And all too often we allow challenges to the church to cause us to circle the wagons, to, to close ourselves off from what threatens us. But God used persecution intended to stop the gospel, to spread the gospel to Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus predicted. But notice who stayed in Jerusalem and who it was that was scattered the apostles, the leaders of the church stayed in Jerusalem. It's the ordinary people who scattered. And as the ordinary people go, they spread the word to others as witnesses of Jesus. Because it was to all the believers that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything that they had. All the believers were one heart and mind. This was a movement of the all, not a movement of the elite. So who is Jesus calling now to fulfill his mission? All of us, you and me, all of us. 
you may feel inadequate, and you are. Isn't that good to know? So am I. So are these first Christians. God knows that. But through God's Spirit's power in your life, there are people in your circle of influence that God wants to impact through you. So the next progress report we come to is then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. So the persecution relents for a while. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Notice the word numbers. Luke often tells us numbers throughout the book of Acts. I wonder why. Acts 1-2 talks about the 11 apostles. Acts 1-15 of that chapter says there are about 120 followers. In Acts 2.41, it says about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Acts 4.4 says, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about, to about 5,000, plus all the women and children. So how do you think they knew these numbers? It's not a trick question. Probably somebody counted. But, you know, it's not really about numbers, is it? It's really about people. So that leads to this question. Who is it that matters to God? It's everyone. Every person in this room matters to God. Every person joining us through the live stream matters to God. Everyone in Chicagoland matters to God. Every human being on this planet, even those who don't agree with you on social media, even the people who cut you off in traffic, every one of them is someone that Jesus died for. Every one of them matters to God and they should matter to us as part of God's church. Well, the next progress report we find is in Acts 13. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then we find that Paul and Barnabas are sent out and they risk their lives because of what is at stake. In verse 48 and 49, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then the word of the Lord spread through the entire region. So what is it that's at stake with the good news of Jesus all who were appointed for eternal life, Scripture says. So eternity is at stake for every human being, either with God and unspeakable joy in heaven or apart from God and apart from hope and love and hell. Now, I mean, if you have something better to do than to be a conduit for the good news of Jesus that will change people's lives for eternity, well, then maybe go do that. But let's be clear. There are no higher stakes. This is about eternity. One of the mysteries about this movement of the early church was that this movement was both unifying and expanding all at the same time. The church grew together and became more as one, and they grew around a common mission. Their hearts were wrapped around one another, and their hearts were wrapped around the mission of God. Because at its essence, the church is the missio dei, the mission of God. 
Ephesians 3.10 says, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold witness wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We align our lives with God's mission when we decide to follow after Jesus and when we join with his people, we are aligned with God's mission. And the church's mission always starts with following Jesus into his mission in the world. By Acts 13, we find that the mission of God has spread to much of the known world. And we find that the center of this growing movement has shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. The church in Antioch sent out missionaries throughout the world, and they began to start churches everywhere. But in Jerusalem, this church that once exploded to over 5,000 people began to turn increasingly inward. And they lost much of their original vision and passion, nearly disappearing altogether. You see, nothing is more dangerous to a revolution than success and then losing that revolutionary passion. The church in Jerusalem, from Pentecost exuberance, mushrooming to over 5,000 people to a satisfied, inward-focused institution. One church leader observed this about their local church. Paradoxically, we were busier than ever, but with less and less missional impact. We moved from the missional idea of the church for the community and the community for the world to the more consumptive, what does the church have to offer me? And that just about destroyed us, he said. C.S. Lewis said it this way, there exists in every church something that sooner or later works against the very purpose for which it came into existence. So we must strive very hard by the grace of God to keep the church focused on the mission that Christ originally gave it. Oh, may this never happen to us at Christ Church, where we are more focused on our own preferences than our, on our mission. Because when the church is the church, the people of God, moved by the Spirit of God, do the work of God, and evil cannot stand against them. Let me say that again. When the church is the church, the people of God, moved by the Spirit of God, do the work of God, and evil cannot stand against them. I don't think you heard me. When the church is the church, the people of God, moved by the Spirit of God, do the work of God, and evil cannot stand against them. Jesus tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I want you to think about gates for a second. I mean, do you walk around being fearful of gates? Gates are not a threat, are they? Gates are defensive, not offensive. And the church has been held hostage at gate point for far too long. It is time that we stop sitting back intimidated by hell's gates. The church is missional, offensive, forward moving, following after Jesus, unstoppable. In the last chapter of Acts, Paul, Paul is preaching in Rome, but he's imprisoned. He's awaiting his trial before Caesar. He's facing certain death. What a moment. 
In Acts 28, 31, the very last verse in the book of Acts says this. He, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Facing death with all boldness and without hindrance. In the original Greek language, akalutos is the very last word in the book of Acts. And it means unhindered, unstoppable. Such a fitting end to this book about God's missional church, right? In Acts and throughout history, the gospel and the church continued to spread unhindered. And yes, there were challenges that came along, but the persecution and challenges almost always furthered this world-changing movement. Acts 28 closes the chapter of, of the local church there, but it does not end the story of the church because Acts 29 and following is the continuing story of the church that's, that's been going on for centuries. It's going in, on in cathedrals in Europe. It's, it's going and spreading in underground house churches in China and impoverished communities of faith in villages and slums in Africa. And now today it's our turn. Even emerging from a pandemic this is a revolution that Jesus started that he expected to reach the ends of the earth. And even now there are countless followers of Jesus around the world who just refuse to play it safe. And there are signs of revolution everywhere. A gentle whisper amidst the chaos, spreading like wildfire as pockets of ordinary Christians committed to doing small things with great love and they're changing the world. It was the church in South Africa which prayed and suffered and struggled so that apartheid ended and a new freedom came to that land. It was the church that stayed alive in communist Eastern Europe and at the very end, the church with processions of candles and crosses made it clear that enough was enough. The Christian community in South America and Africa alone now account for more than one billion people. Christianity in Asia is growing at twice the rate of population. In China, when Mao came into power, the church numbered about 2 million people. And in an effort to obliterate Christianity and all religion from China, Mao banished foreign missionaries. He assumed all church property, killed or imprisoned church leaders, banned public meetings of Christians. It was one of the cruelest persecutions in all of history. And then in the early 80s, outside church leaders were finally allowed back in under strict supervision. And as they entered China, they expected to find the church decimated and the disciples a weak and battered people. But instead, they discovered that the church had flourished and the two million that existed when Mao came to power, then when the church had to go underground, now there was an estimated 60 million Christians. By 2030, some estimate that China will have more Christians than any country in the world. Friends, the church, despite its failings, is making a difference in hospitals and schools and prisons and in slums and many other places, bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, bringing the kingdom to Chicagoland as it is in heaven, to Butterfield and Oak Brook, to your neighborhood and mine as it is in heaven. Jesus is inviting us, you and me, to be a part of the grand adventure of the Missio Dei, the mission of God. 
And Paul writes to us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Because make no mistake, invisible kingdoms are at war for the hearts and lives of every person on earth. Followers of Jesus understand that through this unseen battle, that we fight with love and grace, people's lives are forever changed. And Jesus calls us to be his warriors of light, to walk into the darkness and to realize that just past the edges of light, that there is mystery and uncertainty and yes, even evil. But we still advance because the light we bring is the only hope that this world will ever have. But let us not be against others. We are called to an unconventional war using weapons of grace, hope, and love. So ask yourself, where is Jesus leading me right now? What part of your circle of influence needs light and love and hope brought into the darkness? Is it your workplace, your school, your neighborhood? Are you willing to live with every fiber of your being in pursuit of Jesus, wherever he leads, whatever the cost? You know, the, the force of one person fully committed to God is tremendous, but it pales in comparison to the impact of God's kingdom moving together. God's people, the church, when Christians and churches begin to line up side by side, something amazing happens. Dark kingdoms tremble. The prisons that hold men, women, and children captive begin to crumble. Prison doors open, chains unlock, and multitudes come to freedom. Wherever Christ's followers hold sway, the oppressed and forgotten are soon found dancing in the streets. We fight violence with peace. We fight hatred with love. We fight oppression with servanthood. God is most perfectly revealed in us in the context of community, the church. When we move together, God is revealed. Did you realize that groups of animals have names? Yeah, you, you're familiar with several of them. I mean, together bees are called swarms. Ants are called, you can respond back if you know, ants are called colonies. Cattle are herds. Fish are schools, lions are a pride, whales are pods, crows are murder, tigers are an ambush, groups of buzzards are called committees. That explains a lot, right? <laughs> Owls are called parliaments, but my favorite is the group designation for rhinos. You see, rhinos can run 30 miles an hour. You maybe didn't know that. And that's very fast when you consider that they weigh a ton, literally. There's just one problem. Rhinos can only see 30 feet in front of them. Can you imagine something that big moving as a group at 30 miles an hour with no idea what's there at 31 feet? You would think that the inability to see 31 feet ahead of them would scare them from moving fast. But with that horn pointing the way, rhinos run full steam ahead, which leads us to their name as a group. Rhinos together are known 
as a crash. <laughs> Friends, that's what the church is supposed to be. We are an unstoppable force following an unstoppable God. We don't have to pretend to know the future. Who cares that we can only see 30 feet ahead of us because we follow after God. We don't have to pretend that we know the future. Who cares that we can only see 30 feet ahead of us? We know whom we follow. While so many things in our future seem so uncertain, we need to move towards this future with confidence because there's a world filled with hopelessness that desperately needs Jesus. And we need to stop wasting time being afraid of what we cannot see and do not know. We need to move forward full force because of whom we do know, Jesus. Jesus leads us into the darkness where people are desperate for light and love. And Jesus promises us that the very gates of hell will not prevail against us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to earth to die on a cross and to rise again for us. And, and God, thank you for sending your son through his body, the church, to take that mission to the ends of the earth so that every person gathered today could come to know you. And now, God, we commit ourselves to that same mission, to be your witnesses as we continue on the way, wherever that leads us, even to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus, the sent one, we pray. Amen.